Hello and welcome to I Want What She Has, a show that amplifies women's voices and their stories. I'm your host, Teresa Widman, taking selfies right now. Uh, in the studio with me right now is Ruth Unger Miranda, who many of you I suspect know of. She is a singer, songwriter, multi instrumentalist fiddle player, uke player, guitar player, many, many instruments, um, member of the band The Mammals, a mom, a wife, and also the festival founder and organizer for The Hoot, which is coming up at the end of August, and we're also excited about it. <clears throat> Next to me, in between the two of us, is Veronica Fannin, who is an artist, an illustrator, recently started doing, well, I'll, I'll use the word recently, but most most recently started doing botanical illustrations and is involved with teaching that to people, which seems to be kind of a hot thing right now. Um, Vern also was the author and illustrator of a children's book called A is for Asparagus, which is delightful. I bought a couple copies for my friends with little kids, yeah. right? And you did a little sketch of my friends reading the book. They took a picture of it. Um, Vern is the official Hoot visual artist, designer, and co-coordinator. Sounds like a lot big of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes. And we hope to be joined a little bit later with um, with one of the ladies from the Ashokan Center, which is where the hoot takes place. And so we're going to just leave that as a little surprise as who's going to be talking about that later. <clears throat> So I thought we would start out, um, you know, for anyone who doesn't know you, I know you're both, you know, famous, semi-famous in the Hudson Valley, but hopefully, well, I should say, I know for a fact that there are listeners as far as Asia, because iTunes podcast tells me that the people have downloaded the show all over the world. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so, so to introduce you to all of the people beyond the Hudson Valley, I thought maybe, Ruthie, we'd start with you and to talk about your introduction to music. I mean, you, you were really kind of born into it. Um, but I wonder if you could just kind of talk about maybe your earliest memories of music. Sure. Um, you know, I have said this before, but it's actually true. Some of my earliest memories are people tuning. <laughs> if anyone has <laughs> musician parents, you probably relate to that. But it's it's sort of a, a thing. Like I can feel myself just sort of drifting in and out of sleep and hearing people playing, talking, laughing, telling you know, jokes and stories and and also tuning, lots of tuning. Um, I think that's why I like to tune by ear instead of using a tuner because it, it's sort of like a comforting sound when you get it right. Well, and I, I <laughs> like just imagining how I can't, I can't tune to save my life, right? <laughs> like I need every every contraption to help me. Um, and I, even I, like, I fear the contraption. I, <laughs> yeah. It's an irrational thing. And, you know, Mike is probably listening, my husband and bandmate and, you know, life partner and rolling his eyes right now because <laughs> he's more with you on the gadgets. <laughs> I, I don't know why I mistrust them, but um, it's also just like a ritual of getting it, yeah. getting it going. 
I don't know. I, I also remember people singing harmonies and working out parts, working out who was going to go high and low when. And I love that. That's sort of still, you know, beyond writing or, you know, uh, recording, which I also love. Um, I feel like arranging harmonies and parts and, and all that is still my very favorite thing. It always sounded fun when I was a kid. It was kind of the part that I even would help out with sometimes before I was a musician myself, I, you know. Or suggesting little things here and there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, I'm I'm also somebody who can't harmonize with others very well. But just thinking about that experience of of having that with somebody else to be able to like create this new sound mm. with the combined parts of what you're doing, it, to me is like a very spiritual experience. Totally, totally. My dad had a band. It was called Fiddle Fever. And reportedly, I named that band at age four. So it's pretty much the coolest band name I thought of to date. Um, but uh, it was a great band. It had three fiddles in it. Uh, you know, so you think of a lot of three-bar harmony singing. You know, you can think, uh, I can probably think right now of five or ten bands with three singers. But as far as three violins, three fiddles, it's... the it's it's an instrument that's a lot like the voice, so you'd think that there'd be more bands that do it. <laughs> there really aren't. Maybe it's just the three egos that can't get along. I don't know, but <laughs> but it was cool. I feel like that's where I got a lot of my harmonic sense was hearing them work out parts or, or you know noticing how captivated people were when they heard it in a live setting because really it's more than the sum of the parts. Like you're saying, like there's something we're like eerily moving about harmony, and it just It just, you know, it snaps people out of whatever they were doing before in a way that one voice or even two voices doesn't. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I feel really lucky that I got to have that sort of imprinted in my head. And as you mentioned, I'm a mom and we have a couple of kids who gravitate themselves toward different um, elements of the music and the businesses of, of being a musician. And it's fun to hear them, you know, come in singing you know even if it's happy birthday or whatever and just kind of hear what they are sort of like growing into themselves Mm -hmm. because I think it is something that you um you do pick up really early um I had a friend who said I think it's like by age four if you're not taught x y and z you never will or by and then again by 15 there's like another sort of like and I don't I don't love that characterization of like this door locking at this certain time (laughs) I don't really think that's maybe it's been proven scientifically I don't know but it it made me think well maybe there's sort of a more you know uh gradual version of that but it's it's kind of true the stuff that happens when you're little you know it's like they recommend reading to your kids singing to your kids I whatever it is it's it gets absorbed and they may not remember it at all later but it's still in there. Well, there's something not to go off on a crazy wild tangent, but there is something to be said for what music does, how music affects the brain memory in a way, you know, like there are a lot of people. um, And now I'm going to forget his name. Um, He was a neuroscientist who did a lot of writing. He wrote musicophilia, I think. But it was a lot about about how people who have had brain damage, mm-hmm. how they can recover from that by utilizing music that they had listened to in the past. I believe it. Yeah. And, and there are even, there's a there's a documentary film that was done. Uh, of course, I'll forget the name of that also. But it was about how in um, 
assisted living facilities, how they were using playlists um, to help really awaken the people who were living there, who were, who were, they have video of them really like in a comatose position. And they would put together a playlist based upon like their age and what they would have listened to and their interests in the past, suddenly awakened, Mm -hmm. talking about all these memories and experiences that they had had in their lifetime, where if you, if you engage with them in a regular conversation, it just, it, it wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be able to access it. Yeah, it's not my field of study, but I've seen it with my own eyes many times. Yeah. I mean, um, Mike's grandma is uh, in her 90s, and we spent time with her at Easter, or was it? Yeah, and um, she was sitting there in a room full of loud-talking family and uh, a TV on with the game, and, you know, and Mike just took a moment to go over with his banjo and start playing, and... <laughs> I'm like gonna cry thinking about it, but I just yeah. you know I made a little video of uh, you know she starts tapping her toe and moving and in a way, you know, clocking in in a way she hadn't all day yeah. you know and it was really beautiful yeah. and it's it's uh, you know and I also you know was thinking about stuff that happened to me early on because you asked like my earliest musical memories, but I also want to say like I'm always still learning music and that whatever I learned back then is still with me, but like. It doesn't stop. Like next week at Ashokan, I'll be at Southern Week and trying to absorb new tunes and techniques and, uh, you know, dance steps and whatever. It's It doesn't end. You know, I've spent a lot of time at the music and dance camps at Ashokan where people, a lot of times adults, are showing up to try a new thing, which culturally is maybe shocking but if you hang out at Ashokan, it's not because yeah. <laughs> you're not alone, you know. And, and I love it because... Um, you know, sometimes people are really self-deprecating, like, oh, I'm a beginner. I don't know if I could go and do this. But it's, it's you know, wherever you are, you feel that way. And my dad uh, is Jay Unger, and he's like a, you know, renowned fiddle player. And I'll never sound, you know, to me, the way I want to sound because I, <laughs> I've heard him all my life, and I love how he sounds. But um, at the same time, you know, he has sort of taught me, like, he's still trying to sound better. Like mm-hmm. every every step along the way, you're looking to the thing you want to be. Yeah. And that goes for all things in life. But particularly artists are, um, you know, <laughs> always dissatisfied with any accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah, we're all still working, you know, and hopefully finding peers and friends. And that's sort of where the hoop comes in. It's like we get inspired by each other. We lift each other up and say, wow, what you're doing right now is awesome. And what can we do next? You know, that's a good segue. I just wanted to point out that Mike Amari is listening. Thank you, Mike, for sharing that Oliver Sacks was the neuroscientist who wrote the book and did that study. Thanks, Mike Amari. (laughs) Um, I was I did want to ask you what inspired you to start the hoot, because it's not as though you needed to add anything to your plate. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Vern and me, we were all just just had nothing else to do. So bored. So bored. We just thought, let's, let's, uh, yeah. Well, it's more like, um, you know, it was the inspiration of going on tour. Mike and I have been in this band, The Mammals, or Mike and Ruthie, or the Mike and Ruthie Band, um, you know, for 20 years. And, and, and we've been traveling, playing folk festivals, which we love. So we've done that all over the U.S. We've done that in Canada. 
where they have amazing folk festivals. A little bit of Australia and the UK and Denmark. And we love the big, big, beautiful folk festivals, but we also really like the small ones that are like 1,200 people and a community vibe. And so we, we were in the Pacific Northwest, we were in Michigan, and there were two specific festivals, uh, Robert Sayers and Blake's Subdued String Band Jamboree in Bellingham, Washington, and Seth Bernard's Earthwork Harvest Gathering in Lake City, Michigan. And both of those festivals are run by friends of ours who are songwriters and who have a lot of really cool artistic friends and a great community. And, and both of those festivals were just really special and we thought oh man we should move here this community (laughs) is really cool and oh like i wish we had this and instead of moving we just decided to (laughs) send up a bat signal from right where we are and just like try to utilize the resources you know the natural beauty the amazing local talent the friends and community that we knew to start and just you know it was remarkable i mean within you know, less than a year, I had, I love this example of our friend Tom Linvite, who's lived, you know, up the road from me most of my life, and I never met, and probably wouldn't have if we hadn't started the hoot. He wandered onto the site while we we're building the stages the first year, and was like, do you need a, a first aid guy? Because I've been working up at Gray Fox for eight years as a volunteer, and I'm like, you know what? We do. We don't have a single thing figured out for first aid. Like, you are first aid. Aww. And he still is. <laughs> and he's our neighbor, you know, so we met our neighbors, um, through this, and we continue to. That's it's pretty so fun. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I ever shared the story uh, with you about how I went to the Newport Folk Festival, and the John Campbell Folk School was there with a little like booth, and they're having a contest where you could win a banjo or a week at the folk school. Cool. And I entered, and I won a week at the folk school. Whoa! Yeah, nice. And, and so I went down there. It was probably in like February of 2012, I want to say, and I was just so in love with the experience, yeah. and I wanted to like move there and be around <laughs> all of this. Yeah. And then it was like literally the next year, yeah. the hoot was born yeah. and I was like this the Ash- I didn't know the Ashokan Center existed <laughs> yeah oh uh, well yeah and I'm thinking of how you were there the very first year and yeah. like it was just you know um the amount of energy that it took to put on the first one was massive and it still is but I feel like there's at least um you know a, a critical mass of people who already know about it and will tell their friends so that's like a little bit of a sigh of relief but um we still you know we still, we're still like, you know, just growing very small incrementally each year. And that's, that's kind of how we like it. So yeah. I hope people who are listening will look up the summer hoot and, and learn and maybe come. You know, we, we have a sliding scale thing at the door. So literally everyone is welcome. You can w- walk in and pay a dollar or uh, the suggested donation is 75 for the weekend. Um, but, you know, and that's what we charge in advance online. To, for people who, you know, it's funny. Most festivals have the opposite where early bird prices are cheap and then it goes up. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're kind of weird and backwards where most of the people who are buying it three months in advance are the people who are just like, I'll pay what you want. Yeah. I mean, I'll pay, you know, the suggested donation. Yeah. Like, I support this event. I want my tickets. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And then as it gets clo- closer, you get the people who are like, maybe I'll go. I don't know. And we want to make it easier yes. for those people to just give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the ways the hoot is a little backwards, upside down. And 
unique. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'll just point out that $75 for the weekend is still, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal, you know, like that's yeah. a steal. For you can also everything. pay 200 if you want or yes. 750. Yes. We welcome all <laughs> sorts of <laughs> prices that you can come up with. <laughs> but you're right. It is a good deal, you yeah. know, but we hope that folks are going to, you know, it, you know, if they take advantage of the sliding scale at the door, awesome. Maybe they'll have something left over to buy a, you know, a beer or a, a t-shirt yeah. or support one of our craft vendors yeah. while they're there. <laughs> yeah. Buy a you know, one of the band's t-shirts or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to talk more about what happens at the hoop, but I wanted to um, bring Veronica in and ask you, how did you get involved with the, Was this like, was it um, an easy thing to say yes to? Um, you know, were, were, were you all kind of like, we're going to do this together? And you felt, what did that look like? Well, I remember being in the van with you and Mike and we were driving somewhere I was babysitting the kids, and we, you were like, we're going to do this festival. Like, what are we going to call it? Is it going to be called the Hootenanny? Like, what is it? Yeah. And from that point on, I was ready. Like, whatever. What do you need? Let's do it. Um, so I started the first year making signs. Which are so gorgeous. <laughs> to say, you know, this is this way, this is that way, here's who's playing. And we had been to Newport right, right before that, too, mm-hmm. and seen the beautiful... Uh, like I totally idolized the sign maker lady who was there. Yeah. Who like had a, I feel like she had like a tool belt with sharpies in it and was just like covered in ink and was just like running around the site like making last minute signs and I was like that lady is my hero. Yes. <laughs> she was, yeah, very inspiring, very inspiring. So yeah, I just have been wanting to do, you know, art for art's sake, is why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into a little background about Vern. Um, We're going to pause here for some announcements and a little music interlude from the mammals. Hey, beautiful girl, you know it's a crazy man's world. You may not stand up to their standards of beauty, but you are a beautiful girl. Hey, sweet little boy, don't be afraid of your joy. Don't be afraid to be loving and kind, your heart's at least half of your mind. She's still alright. The most beautiful souls are the ones full of holes. I guess living and giving take their tolls. The most beautiful eyes are the ones that have cried. But keep twinkling and winkling so you know it's face to the sun lift up your heart 
like a true work of art You'll be stronger when each day is done You'll be stronger when each day is done What a gift to be able to listen to that song. It's so beautiful. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, it's really gorgeous. Is writing, does writing music come easily to you? What's the process look like? Um, it sometimes does, you know. Um, it was like a leading question. Does that it come song, easy? Yes, every time, <laughs> always. That song did. Um, that song, I mean, it's really it's sort of funny that I, um, I was, I think I was in the car. Mike was driving and I, that, that rhythm on the ukulele is just like so, so popular among like the young the young people who want to learn the uke. So I think I'd been working with some kids who wanted to learn like an Ingrid Michaelson song or something, and and that rhythm was in my head. And I thought I have never written a song with that rhythm because like everything for me is like so, like folk or blues or country, and I mean like folk like that is not what people now call folk, like indie folk, like really <laughs> ancient folk, I guess. I don't know what you even call it. So I was like, just playing that rhythm. And like, I had like, I think I put it in a voice memo or something. And then that recording we just listened to brought me back to, it was a July day. Mike was gone, had the kids. It was just me in the studio. And I literally just like started you know, listening to voice memos. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I remember that little idea. And then I wrote the song. I don't really remember writing it down, even or what I did. I just know, like I hit record once I pretty much had it figured out. And that is the recording right there. That is me into no. a random microphone, <laughs> trying to capture the song. And I never recorded it again, because I was like, Oh, done. You know, then we put it on a record. You know, the rest of the album was done like much fancier production. <laughs> At the beginning, you can hear me go, Ow. and I d still I don't remember what that is. I stubbed my toe on the way to the microphone. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, but our friend Pete Myers at Ashokan at the Ashokan Center, he's one of the outdoor youth instructors. He's awesome. He um, he loved the track and made a stop motion animation video with these beautiful wool felt people. And he told me he loved the ow at the beginning. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> somebody, somebody heard it. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> the video opens actually with the name of the song being like stitched into a piece of felt. And so he thought the ow was kind of like a needle maybe of this person sewing that's so great. now that's what it is yeah <laughs> sometimes writing is very hard and the hardest part for me is just being busy you know when I sit down and give myself time usually I'll come up with something but I just don't often give myself that time mm -hmm. I just uh, do practical things and there's never enough hours in the day to get the practical things done so sometimes it's just a a juggling act as I I'm feel sure that way too like a yeah you feel that you want to set aside a good amount of time too to get it done. You're like, I really want to dive into this thing that I love. I want to give myself yeah. like three hours. Wouldn't that be yeah. so dreamy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, today I tried to carve out three hours for Mike and I to do practical logistical things. It ended up being about an hour and a half and it was very frustrating mm -hmm. and it wasn't even creative. We were up in the studio, but we, just to get a, our, some brain space, but we were 
literally just trying to figure out where the different performers are sleeping and whether or not they know about their set times and stuff. It wasn't really very <laughs> creative. <laughs> but hopefully they will have a place to sleep and play <laughs> at their appropriate times. So that's good too. <laughs> well, Vern, you bring up an interesting point. I feel like it is a thing that becomes a block for me where I'll say, oh, it's like so busy, so busy this week. I'll just, Saturday will be my day. It'll just be the day where I do all that stuff. I am not going to put anything on my calendar and I'm just going to write. I'm going to do whatever. Right. And then, <laughs> and then Saturday comes along. Yeah. And you've probably, I've probably added two things to my calendar. Yeah. And, uh, and you might actually have to do your laundry too. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that's just that's. I just think it. sometimes we throw away that time be, too because we're like, oh, it's not enough time. Like, I want to get started, but I only have thirty minutes. It's not enough time to get started because once I get thirty minutes in, I want to go further, and that's when I'm just warmed up and ready right. to go. Mm. So then we say, oh, never mind, forget it. I won't even yes. start. And I, but I think like that's the key, right? It is to start. No matter how much time. 30 minutes is enough minutes. (laughs) I actually totally agree with that. You know, like, uh, because you can jot something down or record record something or, you know, and and I also, you know, I guess it's like very, very 2019 to just constantly be multitasking because you have your device. But it is kind of helpful if you're like, you know, trying to pick your kid up somewhere and then they're not ready and you suddenly have 10 minutes and you're standing there. You know, you can make a a list or you can, you know, say, you know, remind yourself about things. It's it's kind of, it's good and bad. You know, I'm, I'm excited that, um, you know, when people, not to only be talking about the hoot, but when people come to the hoot, you know, whatever, you know, whatever technology it takes to get everyone there, the experience is one that's very screenless. You know, once mm-hmm. we're there, we're really checking in with each other face to face for a number of days in a row, especially for us who get there a couple days early to set up, you know, it's, it's a good time to, you know, Vern has like a paintbrush in her hand and she's painting banners and signs and, you know, Mike is moving drums and amps around and it's just, it's, it's good. It's like your muscles are engaged. You're breathing the air. You're, you know, you're not emailing and texting as much. Right. You're, everyone's there. Right. <laughs> it's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hoping that when Allie from the Ashokan Center gets here, we can at some point talk about like just being in nature. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, I think I, it, it's a blessing too that the, uh, the Wi-Fi isn't great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody's phone works too great there. Yeah. You know, it's like you might actually have to look around. Yeah. You know, our kids too, they just sort of run, run free. And I know a lot of people who show up and quickly realize that, um, yeah, it's a safe spot. It's a really, it's a, it's a protected kind of environment. Like I grew up going to a lot of festivals like that where I could, you know, at a certain age, just run off, go to the vendors, get myself a, you know, that was one of the really beautiful aspects of the the my first experience with the hoot was how th- it was this i this place where children could just be yeah. and and parents were able to relax and the kids were able to have fun and do all these kinds of things and it was just it was very unusual i mean you don't go to many places that that exists and so there's like a real magic to that yeah it's interesting cuz like um well Obviously, when kids go there with their school, it's a little bit different. Um, 
But when kids are there with their parents, you know, and their parents say, oh, yeah, like, go up and get a lemonade and come back and we'll be here on our blanket. You know, that's their parents' choice, I guess. You know, it's like, it's different. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, or, oh, you know, you're with a group of friends and you're going to go down to the ballet workshop and come back or, the, you know, whatever it is. Um, the kids zone is super fun and there's a lot um, going on there with uh, outdoor activities and stuff that that you might not get to do every day. Right. <laughs> Should we introduce our guest, Allie Britton? Hey, everybody. Ooh, Allie? Made it. Sorry I'm late. That's okay. You made it. So Allie is the program manager at the Ashokan Center. That's right. And also gets involved with the Hoot. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you do at the Ashokan Center year-round? So... I'm the program manager for the education department, and uh, myself and Rachel Rosen, the program director who couldn't make it here this afternoon, um, we basically run and coordinate all of the environmental ed groups that come um, September through June. Uh, We have over 5,000 students coming each school year. Wow. So Rachel and myself do a lot of the behind the scenes like making schedules, coordinating with the schools. We hire instructors. We train the instructors. Um, what kind of instructors? They are um, like non-formal teachers, I would say. A lot of the educators we get have worked at other outdoor ed centers across the country. Some of them uh, have taught before in the classroom and decided that's not for them and they need a, you know, a more casual setting. Um, so, yeah, we do retain some instructors year after year once they come and find out how awesome Ashokan is. Um, But a lot of them move on and go to other centers. It's kind of the nature of the job. Mm -hmm. What are the types of things? um, I mean, I know that I had a little list here of different things that the Ashokan Center does. Well, for at the Hoot specifically, there are there are activities that happen, um, both for children and adults, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So at the Hoot, we are offering uh, some of our programming that we do with schools. Also, we're doing the blacksmith shop is going to be open Saturday afternoon. Um, Super popular. Yeah, totally. (laughs) What happens there? I mean, do you watch somebody making something? You you get to make something with a skilled blacksmith instructor. Um, So, yeah, that's for kids and adults and they can come in the blacksmith shop and they have an option of uh, they can make one of three projects. I mean, honestly, they can make as many projects as they want. <laughs> <laughs> Depending how busy, you know, yeah. maybe go to the back of the line. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but we do offer three different projects that they can make. Uh, yeah. And the blacksmith instructor talks them through it, helps them, shows them where to hit the hot metal, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're doing blacksmithing on Saturday. We'll also have a couple guided hikes out to the Cathedral Gorge, which is a super popular um, class that's chosen by schools. And it's probably one of, in my opinion, the best classes because there's so much to it. What do you, where do you hike to? I mean, I'm, I've, I know the Ashokan Center, yeah. and so maybe it's not helpful for people that don't haven't been there. But <laughs> sure. I'm just a little curious. The gorge is this massive, like rock structure, right? Yeah, that water comes through. <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, I-, I would say it's similar to a canyon, and uh, basically we hike people out following the Asopus Creek, 
And then once you get like half a mile in, you start seeing the gorge kind of rise up on either side of you. And uh, we stay on the right side of it. And then you go in a little bit further, like another quarter mile. And then you hit this awesome waterfall of another small stream that like flows down the gorge. And so you're looking up at the yeah. the rock and the water. It's yeah. pretty amazing during any season. Totally. You can then actually hike up and get to the top of the gorge and see it from above too, wow. which is really cool. Which probably won't happen at the Hoot. No, it's <laughs> there's it, so much going on at the Hoot. There's, there's too much going on. Yeah. That requires like a little extra set of uh, hands and eyes. Yeah. But um, yeah, the gorge hike is great. You always see something different and it's always a different hike yeah. every single time you do it. And you guys are offering like a archery and canoeing and a couple other things yeah. during the afternoons. Yep. Yeah. We'll have um, our archery range. One of them will be open and adults and kids both can come and try their hand at some bows and arrows. Um, archery is a fairly new class at Ashokan. I think we've been doing it for like three years now. Oh, cool. So it's a little bit newer. Um, we get our bows and arrows from Kenco. Nice. Another nice <laughs> local spot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then archery is really great. And canoeing too, which we've mm -hmm. been doing forever. But everybody loves canoe. Mm -hmm. So... There are other kind of, I mean, I know there's other things for kids to do there. Like I always see them in a parade. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. Whatever <laughs> band is playing around 5 p.m. on the stage is alerted, usually with not as much notice as I planned, that there's going to be a kids parade during their first or last song, depending on the set time. I looked at the schedule and it's pretty awesome who's at five uh, both days this year. It's yeah. going to be perfect. I believe at least one of them is Rashad Eggleston, who's oh, a, amazing. A, a manic cello <laughs> goblin Whoa. who will d delight to the kids' yeah. parade. But yeah, the kids get to, they make stuff at the kids' sound yeah. like, uh, you guys doing capes, uh, we'll probably rattles. Do, we do like capes, crowns, little noisemakers, yeah. rattles. Um, honestly, whatever kids are feeling inspired to do, we just have like a <laughs> giant craft table with all sorts of random stuff. We also have like, I think we have those puppets still and we had just some toys, some random, it's like a little safe tent mm -hmm. where kids can go and hang out mm -hmm. and it's in the shade, which is nice too. Yeah. Um, and it is staffed by volunteers throughout the day. And then, yeah, an Ashokan instructor will lead the kids parade around five o'clock. What brought you to your work at the Ashokan Center? That's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> um, I've I've worked at Ashokan for seven years now. Wow! And Congratulations. Thank you. And before that, I was working at um, another outdoor ed center in New Jersey. Prior to that, I was working in Texas at an outdoor ed center for a little bit. Um, but it's pretty interesting because I never thought I wanted to work in education. I majored in science and ecology, and I was like, yeah, I want to do research and be outside and do the scientist side of things. And then I got offered this job in college, and it was with kids doing, like, nature-based education, and I was hooked. Um, yeah, and Ashokan was in a pretty, pretty wild transition state when I started working there. It's when the new buildings had just opened, and there was a lot of staff turnover, and there were a lot of things going on. So so the Ashokan Center went from, and I don't know, I mean, I'm trying to remember, when did the new buildings? 2013, go? they opened. Okay, yeah, like yeah. New Year's Eve, okay. 2013. And the Winter Hoot was the very next uh, event 
And you could okay. still smell the tongue oil, yeah. <laughs> which is like, <laughs> most people are like, what is she talking about? <laughs> the, the buildings are really nice and wooden and, and, you know, they were finished with a kind of oil that had a nice fragrance to it for a while. But yeah, they were still blowing the sawdust away at the first hoot. Wow. <laughs> so let's just talk about the Ashokan Center for a little bit. Yeah, um, cool just because it's a pretty amazing facility and an organization. Um, do you want to give any background, Ruthie? I know because sure. your father. I think I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll also mention that, um, you know, the, the programs that go on now, the outdoor education stuff that Allie was talking about, one of the cool things that happens throughout the school year is in addition to school stopping in for a day, there's this overnight experience that is obviously really unique. You know, a lot of school trips are field trips, but sleeping in the longhouse and being away from home for a few days in a row, is pretty cool. And, um, and that's been going on for, is it right? Like 50 years, the program? Yes. I think that's right. Yeah. Yes. Or like 51 at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I know I have met, because I'm not from this area, yeah. but I have met people along the way who say, oh, I used to go there way back in the yeah. day. Yeah. And if you think like 5,000. fire poker. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If you think like 5,000 students are coming each year, it's like, well, they're growing up and, and, you know, and the kids who were there 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago, like we run into people. Um, uh, there's actually a bluegrass music camp happening right now at Ashokan. And a guy showed up who said like, I haven't been here since like fifth grade or something, you know, like we used to come here. And it's like, it just totally every day you meet more people like that. <laughs> there's like a, a really, really big like <laughs> feeling of tradition when you talk to like yeah. even like teachers who come. Yes and bring their students there like those teachers have been there as students at the same school and um yeah it's just it's really incredible to me that that is happening yeah Yeah. it was really like the first outdoor ed center in the state yeah it was it was was a unique thing when it started out and there are a lot of quirky things about it like that we have the blacksmith shop or that you know there's like broom making and like colonial crafts which you might not always have at every nature center. And then there's the fact that for, I think it's just about 40 years now, there's been music and dance camps happening in the summertime. And that has somewhat infiltrated the the school programs too. Like you can do ukulele at free time or, you know, so there's little things about it that make it uh, very unique. Some of them are like historic and some are a little more new. Ashokan, (laughs) I think Ashokan really stands out because we have other environmental ed centers in the Hudson Valley um, like there's Frost Valley and there's Sharp Reservation and there's Wild Earth. Um, and they're similar, but they do all have different missions and different things that are great about them. Um, but for me, Ashokan stands out again. I'm going to use the word tradition, but there's a really like cozy tradition, like community vibe about it that I think keep the schools coming back year after year. Um, and the teachers who come want all the students to have like I don't want to say the same experience, but they want them all to like have the same story and like pass yeah. it down. And yeah, um, yeah, it's really really cool. 
I feel that way in a um at school. Like I feel that way about festivals too. Like there's certain little <laughs> traditions that happen, or like you meet your friends every year, mm-hmm. and you try to you don't want to duplicate exactly what happened last year, but there's exactly. certain elements of like we're we're all here in this particular place, and that makes us feel this certain way. And it you know it, we're going to build on those memories that we already have. Yeah. <laughs> and for Rachel and I, Rachel's also been working at Ashokan for maybe even eight years. Like she's got a year on me, I think. Um, but even for us, like seeing the same teachers come back year after year and they get off the bus and we'll give them a hug and that's it's, awesome. it's really nice and they all look forward to it and, you know. Well, and I think we were kind of talking a little bit about the, the beauty of being at a festival, the hoot, and kind of being off your phones and being next to people and communicating yeah. and working together as a team, not sitting in front of a device. And it just makes me think about how how vital this is going to become as we are more and more attached to our devices. And kids are, I mean, I, I, totally. I don't even right. know what to say, right? right? Like I'm just complaining, at, but but <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so vital to yeah. have these experiences. And I wonder if you, if in your experience, Allie, if you're able to to. I guess, kind of notice any difference in the children? Like, is it is it difficult for them to unplug? Is it, what do, you, what do you see when they come to visit? Yeah, so we don't allow students to have cell phones, iPads, laptops, anything like that. And I would say the first, like, five minutes of them getting off the bus, they're, like, you know, looking for their phones because that's what they're used to doing. <laughs> like, five minutes after that, they completely forget that like the cell phones exist and they're just I don't know they're so busy and they're in such like awe and wonder of the space that they I really don't even I believe they don't even think about it until you know until it's time to leave of course how about the teachers that's a <laughs> good question. Because obviously you can't disallow their devices. But totally. Do you see them like sneaking or are they yes. like, yeah. Yes. So we we try to remind the teachers like, you know, be discreet when using your phone. A lot of these teachers are coming on the trip and they leave their families back at home. So, of course, they got to yeah. keep tabs and like check on things at the home front. But even for the teachers, we try to gently tell them to, you know be in the moment and stay present, especially for the kids too. Mm -hmm. So they're not like, oh, well, they're on their phone, (laughs) which does happen. Even for me, sometimes when I'm teaching the kids and because I'm kind of on call when a group is there, I I have to have my phone on me. But I do feel a little guilty when I have to like (laughs) check my phone in front of the kid. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I know you can't have your phone. (laughs) It's a little insane to think that we didn't always have these phones. I know, like, I know. left their families and <laughs> you walked away and, you know. Well, at the Ashokan Center in the old campus, there was a payphone. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the front vestibule of Tongor Lodge and it had a very painful pointy metal grate as the floor mm-hmm. to that vestibule. And you would wait in a line and you would call your family if, if they, there was something going on or if you really need to use the landline in the office, you could too. But it was kind of a fun ritual waiting in that line, hanging out with people, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, I used to be sleeping often in that lodge in the room near the phone booth. So <laughs> as a kid, I can remember just hearing the voices of people like kind of like, finally connecting to people or 
you know, getting a ride or whatever it was, you know, life was different. Yeah. <laughs> I know I get, I wax nostalgically <laughs> often, yeah. but it just seems like we have authority over ourselves and mm-hmm. our lives and we can create some more boundaries, you know, but we kind of yeah. let the, let the technology kind of drive us in a way. It's true. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for like the kids coming to Ashokan and sometimes we'll get high school groups. It's not super common, but the high school groups will usually allow like an hour of cell phone time Mm -hmm. after dinner and they can like go, you know, make their Instagram posts, like (laughs) text their friends, whatever. Um, Certain groups like allow it to happen, but not everybody. Yeah. Um, Well, that's important. We didn't say that. So how old are most of the kids are coming are like fourth, fifth and sixth grade? Typically, four through sixth is the bulk of the demographic. We'll get a sprinkle of high school, um, occasionally second, third graders. That's super cute when that happens. <laughs> uh, and sometimes college groups come in, and um, that's also a really cool, different experience. Yeah. And what about just the random person who wants to go there? Is is it? Can they just go? And so, you really can't. You can't <laughs> because when schools are there, it's. Um, basically got to have the security of a school. Yeah. Right. And right. when, um, say, a wedding or private retreat is there, we treat them the same way, essentially, because yeah. they're renting the space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are, um, that's actually another reason why the Hoot is great, because people can show up for an hour and check it out and really get a taste of a lot of what, what happens there. Um, so there's the Winter Hoot, the Summer Hoot. Then we also have Fall Fest. Um, and Maple Fest, which are... And Hot Chocolate Fest. And Hot Chocolate Fest. So that's... that's, These are all coming up. That's five different, (laughs) um, you know, five different annual guaranteed days when you can show up Mm -hmm. (laughs) at a very reasonable price and enjoy yourself and get to know the place. Um, And if people are interested in doing a wedding retreat, conference, whatever, of their own, they can call ahead and, like, get a tour or come talk to Rachel and Allie about their school coming you know we're open but you have to call (laughs) the other thing there are occasions when there's events just like open to the public on like a friday night or saturday night right there's like dances yeah those are some of them are actually also annual but most of them are like kind of um associated with a another larger event so like this saturday the 10th there's a a zydeco band from down in louisiana which is really special um also jay and molly are playing with a great caller from down north carolina phil jameson doing square dancing so there's squares and and zydeco and cajun this saturday because southern week starts the next day so we take advantage of like this amazing wealth of musicians that happen to be in town (laughs) and do an open to the public dance for the folks who are not able to take a full week off work mm-hmm. and come to the whole camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was a swing dance in June, a contra dance in July, just like that. And then once in a while, yeah, there's like concerts. There's or, the Catskill Conversations. Exactly. This fall, we're going to do Catskill Conversations, which are um, one of the, or two of them are film. Um, John Bowermaster has a show on this station yeah. um, in November. Um, and a woman named Lynn Cherry, who does this Youth Voices for the Planet film series if you don't know about it um she should come on this show she's really cool um the films are really short and they feature kids um doing really cool um action like activist type yeah yeah Yeah. like um countering uh issues in their community that are related to the environment and it's really inspiring and so that's in um september and in October, it's actually going to be a live Radio Kingston broadcast for Ooh. the Casco Conversation. It's going to be a um, 
Sachem Hawkstorm, who also has a show here, uh, we invited him and it turned out to be the same day as his show. So, hey, great. We'll do the show from a show. <laughs> um, so it's going to be really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it makes me... Um, there was a, a thought that came to me earlier today in thinking about the Ashokan Center and, and environmental, um, you know, justice and, and work around the environmental issues that we're facing. And just how it's the idea of, of spending time in nature will help us appreciate it, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, absolutely. if we do that, we actually have more of a relationship, more of a connection with nature. Um, I don't know if it would actually work to say to somebody who doesn't think we have environmental problems, well, you should go spend time in nature so that you believe me about it. <laughs> um, but it just made me think about the value in, in you know, public nature places away from cities and right. away from technology. Yeah. Um, I would say half of the schools that come to Ashokan are from New York City. Mm. And within those schools, probably 80% of those kids have never been in the woods because they grew up in the city and for a lot of them it's like their first time leaving the city um and even for those students who are initially like ah bugs and like freaking out (laughs) like freaking out over like anything that seems alien and weird and like screaming when they see the first deer in their life um you know that that's powerful and it's it's really wild and like you said, like you can't, you can't make somebody go out there and say, yeah, there are issues out here. However, if you bring somebody in the woods and you educate them on like an issue that they can like see with their eyes, an example I have is like the emerald ash borer eating ash yeah. trees. Like there are prime examples of that in the Ashokan forest. Like you bring kids 10 feet into the trail and there's evidence right there of like a dead ash tree yeah. with the insect that killed it. So I think it actually can be done. And you can quickly show somebody and impact them. Even if they walk away not fully understanding what they saw, they definitely still have like a whole new view on it and appreciation. I think the positive memories of nature too, like they stick with you and they come back and bring you joy later. Like I was thinking a few minutes ago about on Saturday night at the Hoot last year, this like perfect, beautiful full moon appeared mm-hmm. like right above the stage and yeah. everyone just like, their jaws dropped and mm-hmm. all, I mean, it was so beautiful. <laughs> like we were all just like, who ordered this? And uh, Kale had perfectly eliminated the pine trees <laughs> yeah, above the stage at my request. Thank you, Kale. And um, so it was like, yeah, you had like so the crowd of people, the wooden stage with music and the trees lit up and above that the moon. And then on the hilltop, you had the ice sculpture from the winter hoot that had stayed cold in the yeah. freezer. Thank you, Bill. Mm-hmm. And and the, the Tom, the ice sculptor had returned in the summer to to surprise us all by bringing this ice sculpture up to the campfire. Whoa. It was pretty epic. Yeah. So I think memories like that <laughs> help us, like, that helps me leave my phone behind. That's fine. For sure. Yeah. Like For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually thinking also of the Arm of the Sea Theater. Oh, yeah. And what they, they're, I mean, it's just amazing what they do. 
but what they do to tell the story about the the earth uh-huh. right they do the one with the dirt and i don't know the names of everything that they yeah, do but the story in the soil yes it's so awesome it is they had the whole crowd out there screaming yay microbes yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like so nerdy and awesome and so creative and like <laughs> Amazing. It's, I mean, it really touches on everything that Ashokan is about, which yeah. is like mm-hmm. there's history, there's science, there's art, mm-hmm. there's music. It's Community. all there. Yeah, it's so yeah. cool. And it's educational and it's fun. And that's totally what we're all about. So. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're the perfect example of it's not never as good on a screen. You have to see it live. <laughs> yeah. these, these are we're talking like beautiful handmade life size puppets or larger than life puppets, maybe. And they're bringing a new show this this year, The Who. Ooh. It won't be Dirt, The Story in the Soil. It That's will okay. be The Rejuvenary Circus. Whoa. Which sounds awesome. Sounds good already. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like the, I've seen two by them, and they're both phenomenal. Yeah. I don't remember. The other one maybe was The, the Builders. when The Water one? Maybe. There was one, The yeah. City That Drinks yes. the Ocean yes. Sky. Oh, yeah, City That oh, yeah. Drinks the Mountain Sky. Mountain yes. Sky, that was it. That was amazing. And we got to it see was it not only at the Hoop, but we got to see that at, um, I'm trying to remember, it was like right where, we call it the the frying, the frying pan, pan. Like it was like by the fountain, oh, at the like where right. the dam is at by the, the reservoir. reservoir. Mm-hmm. And we we were sitting there. I mean, it was like, it was really moving to watch it right there. It yeah. was done, I'm sure, by a grant. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like a free community show. They're just wonderful people. Yeah, um, the yeah. the devotion to, you know, that kind of theater. It just, you know, obviously takes a certain amazing kind of people to, to make that happen. There'll be Sunday morning. There's uh, Sunday morning at the mm-hmm. Summer Hoot. Yeah. Which we haven't even said the dates. Can I do that? Yes. <laughs> it's August 23rd, 24th, and 25th, which is coming right up. Yeah. And as Ruthie said, you can get your tickets in advance or you can get them when you arrive. You can camp there, um, which I think would be a very cool experience. I've never done it myself because I live like 10 minutes away. But um, yeah, I think camping would be really fun. I do it every year and it's the best. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, Allie works there all year round and she camps at the That is so, so awesome. It's it's amazing. We have like our spot now. We like claim it every Friday. Yeah. It's the best. That's great. That's Those are the people who come to my performance, the gong bath. It's the campers. They're (laughs) there and they're... (laughs) And they're yeah. just waking up. Saturday and Sunday Some morning, gong bath, yeah. Hoot Hill. It's so special. Yeah. <laughs> Best way to wake up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where do you have gong baths and blacksmithing in one festival? No. The Who. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to pause for a station ID and some lovely announcements and some more music. And we'll be back with more conversation with Vern, Ruthie, and Allie from The Hoot. Festivals are expensive and hectic. It's not really my speed. Try the summer hoot. Hoot? Like an owl? Yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. There's a sliding scale at the door. Everyone's welcome. And there's plenty of space and fresh air. Where? When? August 23rd through 25th at the beautiful Ashokan Center in Olive Bridge, New York. Ooh. 
Who's playing? The mammals, David Bromberg, Elizabeth Mitchell, and you are my flower. Heather Maloney, Steve Polk, Kanger and Molly Mason, Arm of the Sea, Vannevar Caravan, Courtney Hartman, Radio Hirocho, The Restless Age, and lots more. Plus, craft vendors, kids zone, blacksmithing, canoes, hikes, local food, beer and cider and wine, jamming, workshops, juggling, morning gong baths, and a late night square dance. Camp out, buy a bunk, volunteer, or just drop in. Go to hoot.love for advanced tickets, volunteer info, and to get to know our awesome sponsors. Your support keeps the Hoot affordable for the whole community. See you at the Summer Hoot. I'm definitely going, and you should too. Don't forget your dancing shoes. treat to play music on the show like my (laughs) second dream I don't know if I had I didn't say my first dream but to be like a radio DJ where I actually play music (laughs) just talk I have early morning dance parties at the yoga studio sometimes just so I can like put a playlist together nice um 
so do other people come or is yes, it okay, okay yeah <laughs> I thought it was just like your warm up before you open the doors. Okay. Well, tell me about that. I yeah. want to know. <laughs> yeah. We, um, there's a couple of people who are into the early morning stuff. And um, so we decided to just start doing this thing. We call it Sunriser. Mm. And uh, yeah. And so we were doing it regularly. And then that became a little much to do it every single Friday. People started to not commit to it. You're looking yeah. at me like, there's, did you? There's a thing that they have in like cities called Daybreaker. Day yeah. It looks so awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were trying to copy that. <laughs> um, but yeah, in last the last two times we had there were like nine people there. That's it's great. at seven in the morning. So that's a little early for some people. But it's, totally. you know. It's a great way to start the day. Is it a choreographed dance? Are you making no, it up? No, it's just, you just dance. You just go for it. Yeah, and hopefully you like my playlist, which I like is that. very unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to, I'm going to focus on Vern. We, we didn't get to talk anything about Vern's history um, and, and how you got into what you're doing. I did read somewhere, I think on your website, where you talked about how art had always felt like it was just supposed to be a hobby that you were, you know, you needed to do something else and art could be your hobby. Yeah. I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, certainly I think there's a stigma attached to art in general, but visual art for sure, <clears throat> that it's, it's not something that you can earn an, a livelihood doing. Right. Um, but my grandfather was an artist and, uh, so I sort of saw how you could sort of do it professionally. I mean, he didn't really ever make a lot of money doing it, but he had the passion and he was really doing beautiful things. So, What kind of work did he do? Uh, he did a lot of like portraits and landscapes in pastels. Wow. Um, Where are you from? I'm from Florida. Oh, okay. I, yes, I remember. <laughs> so were they like flat landscapes? <laughs> Very beachy. Yeah. Uh, well, swampy. Swampy palm tree. Yeah. Brushy, <laughs> scrubby things yeah. yeah um but uh, so yeah i shied away from from art really in school uh because i was like well i'm gonna learn the things that will make me successful and like i can already kind of draw so why am i gonna take a class uh but then i in college i ended up finally taking art classes and being like oh there's still so much to learn like mm -hmm. i was such a nerd for being like i already know all of this <laughs> I didn't. Um, still don't. Uh, so then I started to pursue it a little more, but I, I still had a a chip on my shoulder about how it was, like, not uh, productive or something. Right. So I left school with a master's degree in interior design, thinking that that was the way it's to combine, practical, yeah. combine art and, and business or something. Um. But I discovered after moving to this area that there are many successful artists who make a living doing their creative work as well as being business people and, and running that sort of business. So I've had a few mentors along the way who have shown me a little bit about how to be both a business person and an artist at the same time. And I think that's what's led me to where I am now, which is very close to my like dream of of being like my own boss as well mm -hmm. as like still drawing and making art mm -hmm. that's beautiful how did you end up in this area 
It's always like the the question for those of us transplants. Well, I <laughs> I knew I wanted to leave Florida where I was. I was ready to go, but I wasn't sure where. And I had these friends, Mike and Ruthie, who lived up here, who I'd never <laughs> visited before or anything. How did um, you? How did you? How were you friends? I met them at a festival in Florida. Oh, yeah. The mammals would play at the Magfest and the Springfest down at the Suwanee Spirit of the Suwanee Music Park. Cool. It is so awesome, and that's where we met. Yeah, Vern used to show up and bring us baked goods, <laughs> and um, and it was it was yeah. We we were like oh. Vern, you know, and then it was like, oh, our friend Vern, and then it was like, oh, Vern's gonna. Then we like showed up with a kid, and we're and Vern was like down to babysit while we were on stage, and then it was like she was in the van, and we were on tour, and just like then she came to visit up here. Yeah, it all really got exponentially more exciting as it went. Yeah. So yeah, I knew I knew I wanted to leave, and I I came to visit up here, but I also visited. I have a lot of friends on the west coast, of course, so I did a little time in both places, and ultimately it was like, no, here is more like interesting and has more sort of history and roots and something more gritty about it that I was into. I'm still blown away that in February she visited Portland, Oregon, and Woodstock, New York, and picked us. <laughs> well, I chose February for a reason. <laughs> Actually, that's really smart. You want to know the worst case scenario, <laughs> the worst possible weather, uh-huh. see how it is, and yeah. it's still fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're hardcore. You're, you're like, yeah. especially from Florida. Yeah. I came from Wisconsin, so that was easy. <laughs> yeah. You had snow, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not me. So then um, what made you uh, get into the bo- botanical drawing? Um, I was uh, introduced to a local botanical illustrator, and I was doing some graphic design work for her. And we became friends, and she wanted to do a, an online botanical illustration class, which we do. And she called me to do the sort of computer end of it. So I came in and helped her set up this online course. And in creating all of the content, the lessons and the videos and all of that, I sort of absorbed a lot of her technique. And I was giving some feedback to people on our online discussion board where they post their drawings and we give them feedback. And she pulled me aside one day and she was like, your feedback is really good. Oh, she was nice. like, how have you never done this before? Wow. <laughs> I was like, well, hmm. I don't know. She was like, well, will you try it? Try this? Like, here's some supplies. Like, will you just try the lessons that we've been working on and, like, see how y- it goes? And I tried them and I totally fell in love with them and, like, haven't stopped since. And so now we teach together botanical illustration we Mm -hmm. go to places like hawaii or greece and we like find plants and draw them not a bad gig (laughs) (laughs) um what do you think it is about drawing plants what do you what is that 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 you find enjoyable it, it taps into my inner like science geek for sure i loved science as a kid my dad is a science teacher and i love the the sort of exploration involved in studying plants or in order to draw them, you know, there's a lot of like pulling things apart and like looking at things under a microscope Mm. or like figuring out why that's shaped that way or like maybe the pollinator is shaped that way. So maybe that's why, you know, lots of questions and hypotheses and blah, blah, blah. So that part I really love. Yeah. And then being able to translate that on paper is also really fun. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I like it because it's um, like the hard work is already done. Like you find something beautiful in nature, mm. like a plant, and you're like, look how it's arranged and it's already a composition and the colors are already there. And all I have to do is like translate it on paper. It like removes the stress of looking at a blank piece of paper. Yeah, I me. can see that. Mm-hmm. And what made you want to write the children's book, do the children's book? That sort of happened by accident. Okay, that's, uh, that's I, a good story. I came up with the first few of them just like for fun. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember why, but they were on a scrap piece of paper in my house. And then I thought, well, what if we, uh, my partner Tom and I were like, you know, shooting ideas back and forth about what all the letters could be. And I was like, yeah, we could do this. We can make every letter, no problem. We got about t- 15 to 20 in and then it got really hard. Really? <laughs> sort well, of questioning my, <laughs> my yeah, I mean, A, B, and C are pretty easy. Yeah, a, B, no <laughs> problem. But talk about Asp- Y and X. And Asparagus, Bananaconda. Cucumber. Cucumber. That's a good one. Yeah. I've always loved Rattish. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I'm a big, huge fan of Unicorn on the Cob, which is one of the later ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I suppose the end of the alphabet is the tricky, those are the tricky letters. And vowels are hard, too. Okay. But it ended up being, I had a few sketches of the of the drawings themselves, which are very strange animal-plant combinations. And I, at the time, had just gotten a tablet, you know, like with, a, with Photoshop and a tablet. And I was like, I need to learn how to use this tool. What better way to learn how to use a digital paintbrush than to have 26 paintings, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like do 26 paintings and then I'd probably be okay at it. Yeah. So then I also sort of used it as my transition toward Mm -hmm. digital drawing. Oh, okay. Is that how you draw? Do you have a preference? I mean, I've seen pictures of you in not in digital. Do you? No, like for botanical illustration, I use color pencil and watercolor. Okay. Um, And I prefer that. Okay. I like the tactile experience, but digital drawing has its, uh, you know, it has its benefits, of course. <laughs> what is the benefit? Because you can kind of modify it. You can undo things. Yeah, Control Z is okay. very special. Okay. But I think also it it's a quickness too. Like if someone needs something quickly, it's easy to draw it on a on the computer and have it so there's no background already. Oh, right. If that makes sense. Like if you yeah. draw something on white paper and you have to translate it to digital, it, there's a process of removing the paper. Gotcha. But if mm-hmm. it's already mm. digital. It's that easy. was like yeah. one, one of my first jobs out of college was removing the background using Photoshop in 1998. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was paid by the hour. It was awesome. <laughs> 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 I got really good at it. Vern has probably heard me tell this story one too many times, but my boss was shooting photographs of things like musical instruments for the cover of instructional books. And the saxophone has a lot of nooks and crannies and removing the background from a, a, like a brass or wind instrument is, I don't know, it's a fun job. I actually like that kind of, (laughs) I would, you know, not that I want to spend my whole day doing it now, but it was kind of fun. Well, it's, it's funny because (laughs) I feel like you are so active at least, like, that's when I see you. Granted, I see you at the hoot, which is like you're all over the place doing everything. Um, and that the idea of sitting there doing that kind of work is like <laughs> so slow and meditative. And right, you know, yeah, um, well, yeah, 
but it's but i also don't i'm like not spending time in your home with you so i don't know what yeah. you're like i feel like time. i'm not alone in saying that like most of what i do has turned into looking at a screen even though i don't know how that happens oh, like yeah. you know it's like i'm a musician but that's literally five percent of what i actually get to do in if I were to add up all the hours, you know, yeah. it's like so much time mm-hmm. for that little percentage where you get to play. Like at the Hoot, our band plays on Saturday. It's super fun. And I'm always, um, you know, so grateful as like for this period of time, I'm actually on the stage and get to do that for a little while. <laughs> and then, uh, but, but we have to pace ourselves. You know, it's like when you're on tour, you do too. You pace yourself through the day. You know, your show is happening. Try not to use up too much of your energy, mm-hmm. you know, in a sound check or walking around sightseeing if it's a town you've never seen before it's like you kind of pace yourself yeah but at the same time it's um it's almost impossible with the who (laughs) there's just so much going on so everybody understands you know sometimes i'm a little hoarse but i try not to over talk Mm. if i'm gonna sing (laughs) well and it's also like so many friends right like there's just so many familiar faces and and people and and then like after our set i usually just act a lot more extreme because I don't have to worry about the set anymore. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, all right, that part's over. And now, yeah, it's a sort of like, yeah, sort of like hiking back down Mount Everest at that point where it's still pretty intricate, but it's a different vibe. Do you get not that I've hiked Mount Everest? <laughs> <laughs> Do you get nervous at all? Um, that's a great question. I don't often get nervous. I do occasionally. Do you know why? You would? (laughs) I think everyone is different. And for me, um, what I've noticed is like performing in front of a large crowd or a small crowd, one is nerve wracking in a different way. Small could be more nerve wracking because they can, you can see their faces and stuff. Um, Performing for friends versus strangers. I don't know. Friends might be more nerve wracking because you actually care what they think in a different way. Um, so I'm a little like that. Like I've gotten used to more the the strangers or crowds thing. I don't often get nervous in those situations. But sometimes the same thing that makes you nervous can also be the same thing that makes you do well. Right. right? So like really listening to something about that, with, right? Where it's like you don't want to be fully comfortable when you step onto a stage. Like you want a little. Right. A little twinge of something just to yeah. give you. And I'm weird. Like the things that spook me are, I, I, I mean, well, I'll, we were at Clearwater this year and had a really great like set on the rainbow stage, which is their main stage, which is a big deal. <laughs> We've played the smaller stages a number of times, which I'm uber grateful to have to be able to say. Um, but it was really cool. And um, that hill looking out there and there's that big shady tree with people under it up there and I don't know it's just right by the Hudson it was just amazing and what made it even more amazing was that Ani DeFranco who we've opened for on tour and hung out with but who is still a sort of you know amazing figure she stood on the left side of the stage by the monitor guy and watched pretty much the whole show with a big smile on her face and bouncing around because she's awesome. And um, I noticed her around like the third or fourth song or something. And I remember in the moment inside my body being like, oh my God, I was there. And then like I like kicked into this other like high gear of playing. It was an instrumental. I was playing the fiddle and I just suddenly started to play better. And then I got pissed off myself. I'm like, why couldn't you do that? 
you should be able to do that without Ani saying there. I'm having this whole thing in my head of like, why are you playing so good now? Like, you know, so, but that's kind of like, I was kind of nervous, but it actually like helped. And, um, and then I was laughing, like they say, dance like nobody's watching or whatever. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I'm thinking now, like play, sing, like Ani is watching, like do that, you know, whatever it is, you know, every performance or sometimes it's not a performance. Sometimes it's like a meeting. That like, made me a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, it's more of I tried to be prepared for it, and and we and I had asked what to do, and I got different answers from people, <laughs> and so it's like, well, what do I actually do? And here we are, and yeah. we're at a good moment for an actual break for announcements and another song, and maybe we can convince. Ruthie to play something for us live since we're talking about it. All right, let me think about that. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to I Want What She Has on Radio Kingston, WKNY, AM 1490, FM 1079 in Kingston, New York. get to say goodbye to all my friends when my story ends when my story ends and if I don't I pray that we have made amends when my story comes to an end And I hope I get to say goodbye to all my friends 
I may have one. We're getting we're getting ready for Ruthie to play some music, but where she's gonna do her ear tuning, yeah. tuning by ear for for a while, and meanwhile we're gonna talk to Allie about her band. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm in a pretty newly formed rock and roll band right from Kingston, New York. Um, we have yet to have any. I would say like official gigs at venues in Kingston, but we're working on it. Um, our name is Silver Dome. We are just, you know, old fashioned rock and roll, pretty loud. Do you write your own music or do you play other other music? What do you what does that look like? We write all of our own music. Um, do you so have a music background? I do not. Okay. No. I I great that gives me a lot of hope for myself (laughs) right um i've loved singing my whole life um never had much training practice anything like that um so yeah when i got asked to be in this band i kind of just went for it and all of the music was written like they had been practicing together for a while but they were like okay ali bring some lyrics to the table which is also something that i've never done before Um, But with the help of my wonderful boyfriend, Roy Verspohr, who's a writer and a musician, him and I kind of worked together and he helped me write lyrics and what do you what are your songs about? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) They're about (laughs) a a lot of different things. Um, (laughs) Like, I'll give you some song titles and I think you'll get it. Uh, There's one song called Lust. Um, <laughs> there's another song I called. Wonder what it's about. <laughs> there's another song called "Convicted of Rock and Roll," yeah. which is probably my favorite one. <laughs> um, we have one called "Street Fight." Oh, we have one called "Uptown" that's written about Uptown Kingston. Cool. Um, so that one's a lot of fun, but they're really just like fun, wild mm-hmm. rock and roll, like you know. Do you think that your time at Ashokan has helped you like nurture that part of you? That's a great question. Yes. I would say definitely yes. Um, in the summer at Ashokan, we don't have schools. So I kind of, I wear a lot of hats over there, like a lot of different hats. I do all different things throughout the year. But in the summer, one of my gigs is I bartend for the fiddle and dance camps. Mm. And through doing that, I've spent a lot of time with the fiddle and dance camps and I went into some classes a couple summers ago and learned a little bit about guitar and took a ukulele class and um, yeah, it's it's definitely inspiring being there every day in the summer and being around music and like incredible musicians. So definitely, yeah. That's a it was a very good question, Vern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Ali, I remember at like this benefit last year when. Uh, you hopped up and made up a verse to yeah. the Living at a Shokin song, and I was so stoked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was great. And yeah, I mean, making up words or making up songs, there was a guy at a festival songwriting workshop that I saw one time, and really all he said was, songwriting is just, what if music went like this? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a simple explanation, but yeah. I, I took that with me because, yeah. I think that... What if I was convicted of rock and roll? It's, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just what yeah. I think there's something to be said for how we choose to spend our time, right? And 
And I just think back to like my former life when I worked in corporate America, you know, like you just you're around a certain thing a lot that it it be kind of it shapes you. It really does. And so we I feel very blessed to live in this area to be around such creative, inspiring, caring, compassionate people. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And, Same. And I Same. think like that's like if you know, you think about who you're surrounding your time with. There is a there is an old adage that has something to do with that, you know? It's like you are who you you spend time with or who you're friends with. And um yeah. Yeah, that's that I think that's true. And you know, you see like that chosen family that that we we draw toward ourselves as much as possible, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Are you Are you ready to do something? Yeah. Now I do feel nervous because um, <laughs> <laughs> just if you were wondering, because I'm gonna play a song I haven't played in years. Um, but it seemed like a good song to play on. I want what she has. You could put that mic on the guitar, or I feel like you might just hear it. Either way, go ahead. It's um, this song is called Baby. And it's uh, it's a song I wrote, you know, after having had a baby. So why not? And and you know he's like 11 now, <laughs> so that makes it really funny. <laughs> I'm one of those people who's like, ah, oh, they're big so fast. But um, yeah, so we wrote this song, or I wrote this song, and we put it on a record called Waltz of the Chickadee when Willie was still a totally a baby. I think it was summertime when I made it up. Baby, baby, you make me dizzy and hot. You make me weepy a lot. For a long, long while 
Every day flies past Baby Baby I'd like to slow things down Now you're around I'd like to slow things down was really special <clears throat> it made me think of um like your sets you know like and when you choose the songs that you play and um it, like I used to follow a band like for a long time and see them perform and it's like wow they play the same songs every single night you know and you haven't played this one in a while which is like is that a is that fun to do or do you like playing certain songs? Well, like we've been, <laughs> Mike and I have been playing together, as I said earlier, like for 20 years, either, either as Mike and Ruthie or as Mike or as Ruthie or as the mammals. It's like, we have so many songs. We can't yeah. play them all in one night. It would right. you know, be tomorrow by the time right. we're done. So it's cool. Like, it's for sad. The record, I would listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love you, Vern. If we had like, you know, if we have a new album, we're excited to play those songs, and then Im- almost immediately, within a few months, it's like three or four of those songs fall off, mm-hmm. and like the main songs of that album stick around, and then maybe a few old songs that you just need pull back, and it's just sort of a natural thing because mm-hmm. you're playing an hour set or at most like a ninety minute set, maybe you know a two hour show. With an intermission, which is great. But um, even then, it's like, we like to talk between songs. I like to tell people stuff and give context of what we're doing. And, you know, sometimes it's like worth it to play fewer songs and give more context. Some kind of shows it makes more sense to just like play straight through and, you know. I will say that. We tailor it to the show. Yeah. Yeah. The the conversation in between songs (laughs) is a one of, I mean, it is equally, maybe not equally, but it is such an enjoyable <laughs> thing for me. It, you know, I'm always like laughing. You're very funny. <laughs> Thank you. Well, don't tell everybody go to the Who because it was so funny. Cause the worst thing is like think that you're supposed to be funny. But when I'm not supposed to be funny, I'm pretty funny. I, <laughs> if I were a comedian, I would not be that great. But for a musician, I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> also I think like you know um, we have toured with people or seen shows where um, where I would think that the talking actually is more important than the songs like it can be there are artists that go that far in fact um, when we were on break and I was talking about this camp that we went to which was um, the sad songs uh, summer camp it was at the full moon and it was with the milk carton kids who's they're amazing and their songs are beautiful and they're great songwriters and they have a lot of really diehard fans who were there including us and we ended up 
being bumped up to teachers because we have so much experience teaching from Ashokan and because one of their instructors had a sudden thing he couldn't come. <laughs> so we were teaching songwriting and helping with harmonies and stuff. And there was totally a class on being funny between your songs, which because the Milk Carton kids have really serious, really beautiful, intricate, like moving songs. And then they're really funny between. So it like provides a contrast mm. because otherwise their show would be like super <clears throat> even energy and it even when they're funny like they're a little deadpan i mean it's not a wildly different character yeah but they also brought this guy dave hill who's a comedian who holds a guitar to come talk about it from that side because he was he he says he was in a band and then he started to judge his shows um like the better the show was the fewer songs they played because it meant that his banter was getting so good and funny and then he realized he probably should stop calling himself a musician if his favorite shows were the ones where he barely played a song um yeah so i guess it's all there's a continuum of like how much the music is the show and how much the talking is the show mm-hmm. well i do think <laughs> like there is you feel like family right when you go to a performance of yours because you you are engaging with the people that are in the space that are listening. And to me, I like that. Awesome. I, I think like that's a really, it's a really beautiful part of the yeah. experience. I like that too. And you know, like it, it can happen in other like genres too. It's just like more common in folk, but like um, our friend Lucas Graham, who's world famous and wrote that song seven years that like Willie was into when he was like eight and nine because it was like a pop song and I'm like wait that's our friend Lucas so like we knew this guy when he was a kid now he's this pop star we hung out with him not too long ago and I was just like how did this like happen like how did because he came out of a folk scene originally like his dad was a folk music agent in Denmark who used to bring the mammals and other like really trad folk bands to Denmark (laughs) And so this kid grew up like seeing a lot of folk shows and being at folk festivals. So what he said to me was really awesome. He's like, it's folk lyrics. Um, it, what did I say? It's like folk lyrics with um, a pop band and a rock show. Oh, okay. That's what he said. And basically like he talks between songs. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to. He's got like a light show. He's got like, but he has a real drummer. Not a drum machine. <laughs> so like certain things that yeah. make it like feel a little more organic than maybe your average pop show. Not that I would know because I haven't been to too many. Yeah. But I went to his and it was just like, it was so cool. Yeah. He didn't have to talk to people. He didn't have to be so real. Yeah. But his songs are about his life. And it was cool mm-hmm. to hear him say that. I think it made it more like of a show people want to go back. Yeah. Or well, want to put that song on at home and be like, oh, I really know this guy. Like it works. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I hate to say that, but I think there is an element of people who listen to music like you want to have a connection with the person who's making it yeah and you know so i think that 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 helps not to totally leap but um this is making me think of like politics and music and how some people i've even had it happen firsthand but it's like really common where it's like we came here to have fun not to think about you know politics or or you know shut up and sing was the name of that Dixie Chicks movie. Uh-huh. You know, it's like there's that that feeling of like, wait, you're here to make me have a good time. Mm-hmm. You're not here to be anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, but we do want to actually feel like we know that person. Yes. So that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and not everyone wants to put politics in their music or their life. And that's okay. You know, I'm not sort of trying to say everything should be infused with that. But if that's what the person is about, 
you know, if that's what they're singing about, because that's what they care about, then that's what the music is. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, we've done a lot of different sides of that. When the mammals were first on tour, and maybe some people know, like, Tao Rodriguez Seeger is Pete Seeger's grandson, and we formed that band with him. And there wasn't, like, a choice, like, will we be political or not? Like, that wasn't even a conversation. Like, he is, like, anytime we got on a plane, like, they searched all his stuff because, like, an alarm goes off when, like, a Seeger is there. Like, he still bears that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, maybe sometimes I used to think he was paranoid, and then I'm like, no. It's, you know, we just, we were representing a certain type of uh, folky, lefty, you know, the it's in the songs. It's, you know... Yeah, it was the tradition that we were doing. Yeah. And we were proud of it. And then we got further out of the Northeast out of our liberal, um, you know, bubble. bubble. (laughs) And we hit some stuff that was really educated, educational for me. And like, I learned a lot, like, I could go into some of the details on that. But I just, Mm -hmm. I really did learn a lot. And it was cool. And I feel like now we were young, and we were rabble rousers. And that was like, fun, you know, and now I feel like, our politics certainly have cha- haven't changed, but um, I feel like our our songs have because we're really excited to sing about what we're for, and as opposed to just singing about what we're against. And I think that's like what we're most proud of because we're trying mm-hmm. to bring energy and attention to the positive action mm-hmm. we want to see in the world and be that. You know, it's not about. I mean, it's, it's easy to point a finger and say, "Hey, that sucks over there," but. It's uh, more constructive, hopefully, to build the good things. I think that's amazing wisdom. I, I do. And I think if we all thought of whatever we're doing in that way, we would have left less conflict, really. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, that's what you're doing with your show. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Amplify cool stuff. Yeah. We <sighs> do have to take another break for some announcements, but we will be back. So don't turn your dial and don't forget to mark your calendar for the hoot August 23rd, 4th and 5th. Okay.
as I wipe away my tears. (laughs) 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 I love that song. Um, Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's Amy Hall and uh, Lindsay Webster singing that pretty harmony stuff at the end. That's beautiful. (laughs) When we do it live, it's dudes singing. (laughs) Not quite the same, but it's still pretty. So we, oh, I'm sitting here, for those of you who are just joining, uh, we're talking The Hoot with Ruth Unger Miranda, Vern Fannin, and Allie Britton. And we just have a few minutes left to share any more goodness about The Hoot that we want to, or any goodness at all. We did want to mention that there is a bus that will be leaving from Radio Kingston's parking lot to take you to The Hoot so that... Those of you who don't want to drive, maybe you want to imbibe in things or just relax. Or maybe your car hit a deer or you didn't have a car to begin with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of those things. Or you just want to be on a bus with other fun <laughs> hoodsters, yeah. right? That's like a perfectly great reason to get on the bus. Yeah. Um, and if you are interested in volunteering, that's always an option. I know from my past experience with anything I do volunteering with the group it's always a special experience and I can only imagine the the fun that you have as a volunteer at the hoot so um, I will link to obviously the website um, so that anyone who's interested and is googly challenged you can you can find that fantastic yeah so Anybody want to jump in and just share anything else? You were kind of talking a little bit earlier, Vern, on the break about the the intention that goes into kind of creating a a really, really unique experience for a music festival. Yeah, I think that we try to create a special environment for this to take place. And it it's not only the environment, but the the sort of curation of the the artists and musicians that are there as well as like the way that the site is organized and arranged and it, it feels to me very different from other music festival venues right like where you, you don't have to wait in long lines you don't have to get patted down by security you don't have to like um there's not a fencing all over blocking you in and all yeah, this kind of stuff. and there's jazz. not a lot of like uh like trash and you know we we uh-huh. have a really good um group of people that helps us with oh, yeah. like separating out the trash into the compost and the recycling and really trying to keep it respectful of the site and of nature and I think that that's special. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's a it's a relatively sustainable operation. We have solar power at Ashokan now from our friends at Solar Alchemy and they're um they're actually helping us uh locate the food vendors at the top of Hoot Hill this year, which is new. So if anyone's been to the Hoot food will be at the top of the hill and um that's cool yeah it'll be neat it'll be a new experiment and the the solar is making that possible and also um yeah like we have these stainless steel pint cups that are hoot cups that uh yeah enable people to not drink out of plastic (laughs) dotting my kitchen counters all the time (laughs) my friends and i uh wrote a song called dirty old hoot cup awesome because we always bring them camping with us and like everyone has like their own stack of hoot cups well good bring them to the hoop because you got a cheaper fill up with one of those that music always sounds much louder in my ears <laughs> than it does on the recording for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Dirty little hookah. <laughs> <laughs>
That's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Still blowing my nose here. <laughs> I want what she has. <laughs> All right, ladies. Thank you so much that there's something that is wrong with this recording. Um, I don't think you're hearing it on the recording, friends. So I've not lost my mind. There's just something with my headset, maybe. Um, thank you, Ruth, um, from the Mammals, for joining us today in the studio and representing the Hoot. Thank you, Vern, for all of your um, dedication to your artwork and following your passions and making the Hoot look beautiful and Ooh. feel beautiful. And thank you, Allie, for your work year-round at the Ashokan Center and helping young the youth of America become special, amazing beings and for forming a band. And hopefully I'll get to see you guys perform someday. We heard music from the Mammals and the Mike and Ruthie Band. We also heard music, like right now, from Shauna Falana. And today's show was engineered by Ben Benton with special help from Manuel and Kale and everyone doing all the other technical stuff. And I think that's all I've got to say for now, except for until next week, love yourself and uplift one another. Woo! Woot! Woot! <laughs>